Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 29th of January 2017, entitled, In Full Bloom for the Lord. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 58. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to uh, open your Bibles this evening to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, reading from verses 51 down through 58. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. Again, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. The twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, thank you again this evening. Thank you for your word that we have before us. We pray, Lord, that, Lord, as we look at this passage now, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts by the power of your Spirit, spirit not by the wisdom of man, Lord, you know hearts this evening. You know exactly what is needed. So, Lord, we, we look to you, and I pray, Lord, that as you speak to hearts this evening, help us, Lord. Help us to not just listen with our ears, but to listen with our heart. Help us, Lord, as you speak to us. Help us to be receptive and responsive to all that you have for us, and we give you the praise for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen and amen. I do realize that it's still a few weeks away before we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, we notice the verse that I really want us to draw our attention to here this evening is the last verse that we read, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. As I was looking and thinking on this passage, of course, I believe that we recognize that when we begin to look to the Lord for whatever it is that we need in our lives, 
it's all hinged upon what Jesus Christ has, has done to us. We find that in this passage here that our highest heavenly hope, that hope that we have in Jesus Christ that the life that we live here is not our only life. <laughs> we find that the Bible tells us that this life is like a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then it vanisheth away. But of course, we find here that victory over the death, it's appointed unto man once to die. But after this, the judgment. We find that with many things that we set out to do in life, one of the things that we have to have if we're ever to achieve anything is a vision of what lies ahead. The Word of God teaches us that without a vision, we perish. Even in this natural world, people have visions, goals, dreams. We've talked about some of those things recently. And if we're ever to achieve anything, whether we're talking about the natural life that we have here, whether we're talking about eternity, whether we're talking about the natural or the spiritual I think that the one thing that is needed and required is that we have a vision, and the vision that's being placed before us here is that hope of what we have in eternity, that all believers, all those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they have victory over death because Jesus was victorious over death. That is our final victory, this life, because it's, the last thing that we face in this life when this, he tells us, this mortal has got to put on immortality, this corruptible has got to put on incorruptible, and death is that final step before the Lord calls us forth. You see, nowhere in Scripture does, does the Lord ever separate or divorce, if you would, our position from our practice. Who we are should be lived out in our lives day by day by day. He doesn't separate doctrine from duty just so that we can impress people with all of the great biblical knowledge that we have and understand and share these things, and yet it has no effect upon our daily duties as we live out our lives. You see, life in the Lord Jesus Christ is something that gives us a great great heavenly hope, but we still have a hope and a life and labor that we have for him here on this earth as well before we re reach that heavenly hope. I quote to you from a man by the name of Ellicott dealing exclusively, exclusively with this doctrine of the resurrection here. He says, it is very striking and very expressive of the real spirit of the gospel that a chapter which leads us step by step through the calm process of logic and through glowing passages of relentless eloquence to the sublimest thoughts of immortality should at last thus close with words of plain and practical duty. Christianity never separates in precept 
or in promise the life that now is and that which is to come. I would remind you that we touched on the fact this morning that God is completely outside of time. God created time. God then stepped into time in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The life that we now live and the life that which is to come in the Lord Jesus Christ is not separated because it's one life for all of eternity. He gives us eternal life now that will carry on forever and ever. We saw this morning that, again, when we think upon the Lord Jesus Christ and our thought was looking towards the experiencing of the presence of the Lord in our lives. And of course, as we think along those lines, we, we realize and recognize very, very much that our hope is something that no one can take from us. We were focusing upon his promise to us of never leaving us and never forsaking us. And he told us there that we don't need to be afraid of what man can do to us. And the ultimate enemy that man can bring upon us is this thing of death to this mortal body. But as believers, why should we fear? What do we have to fear? When we know that we have victory over death, we have victory over the worst possible enemy that they could ever bring against us. Therefore, we could read this entire chapter if we, if we had the time. Therefore, he says in verse 58, because of the fact, because of what we have in the resurrection in our Lord Jesus Christ, because of the fact that we have victory over that, that last enemy, death, because of the fact that one day that trumpet will sound and this corruptible will put on incorruption, and this mortal will put on immortality. Knowing that, therefore, because of everything that he's taught us here on this matter of the resurrection and the life that we have that is going to be for eternity, because our labor is in the Lord. And I want to promise you something, that what is really done in the Lord cannot be in vain. We can get discouraged sometimes. We can sometimes feel like that it is all in vain, that it's not accomplishing anything. We could get discouraged because that there aren't more seats filled here this evening. We could get discouraged because of those family members that we've been praying for for years, but it seems to make no difference. We could get discouraged because it seems like that it doesn't matter if we try to, to witness for the Lord and we try to share Christ with others that nobody wants to hear it anyway. There's plenty of things. The list could go on and on and on and on. So many things that you could get discouraged over if you wanted to. But this evening... I want to give you cause to be encouraged. And you see, that's what he's saying here, that the whole teaching of the resurrection and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ over death and everything this world can throw at us, that because of that, most of our 
Christian life, as we live in the flesh, if we're not careful, we can accomplish more things in the flesh than we accomplish in the Lord. We've got to keep in mind, it's not my work. It's not your work. It's not even our work. The only fruitful work that is ever going to bring fruit that is ever not going to be in vain is His work that is done through Him. We're not even the ones that created the work. We sing the old hymns sometimes that ask us the question, is your life a channel of blessing? Is the love of God flowing through you? Are you telling the lost of the Savior are you ready his service to do? You see, what I want you to grasp this evening is I'm not here to fuss at you because you're not doing more. I want to encourage you to realize that because of Jesus Christ and because of what you have in him, that you want to do more because of what he's given to you. You have a great desire to do his work. The first thing he tells us here, therefore, my beloved brethren, therefore, because of the great truth of the resurrection and the victory that we have in Jesus Christ, therefore, be ye steadfast. <laughs> I remember, I don't remember if I've shared it with you before or not, but I remember reading a little story once of a small boy that was standing by the post where he had his horse tied up, and it was a, a fine-looking animal. There was some stranger that came along, and he looked at him, and he asked him, and he said, well, that's a fine-looking horse you've got there. Can, can that horse run fast? The little boy looked at him just as seriously he could. He says, I don't know, sir, if he can run fast, but he sure can stand fast. <laughs> he sure can stand fast. <laughs> that's what he's saying to us here. Steadfastness is... It's not about our faith, but it's about our faithfulness and whatever that we're doing. It's that quality of reliability, of trustworthiness. It's what makes a person one that can be counted on. You want to be counted on by others. You see, Paul's visions and revelations and all those wonderful experiences that he had with God... They never caused him to somehow live in some kind of a dreamy, sentimental land, but it translated into his life and his work for the Lord here. Alexander Smelly says, From gazing on the celestial heights where they die no more, I am bidden to look on the dusty plain beneath, so full of misery and sin and death, and see that to be appointed sphere of courageous and consecrated service at this present hour. In other words, if you look around and you see this earth, this world, and you see the needs of this world, look at what God has appointed us to. Let it not discourage you in the fact that there's so many people around you that need the Lord whether it's your family or your friends or your work colleagues. But let it encourage you that 
God has still seen fit to have you here, to allow you to make a difference. Be ye steadfast. It's a word that occurs, if I've counted correctly, some 20 times in the Bible. And there are several different words in the Hebrew and the Greek that are, that are translated into this word uh, steadfast. But the word hedra that's used here is a word that means a seat. It denotes one that is seated and settled. It's a word that's used metaphorically of moral and spiritual fixity and stability. Someone that is right there, they're seated, they're stable. It was even something that was used in a military sense often. And it indicated a solid front, a solid front, no breaking through here. There is no weakness. There is no place that you can get through. There's no gap. You see, the Bible, as we read through it and as we study it, has many, many, many things to say about this quality of stability, of steadfastness. We find that we have the greatest example of all in God himself. He is the perfection of stability. Folks, I don't say it proudly, but I say it is absolute fact that the world, our churches, they're full of too many unstable Christians, Christians that are not steadfast, knowing, knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us, knowing what our future holds. There is absolutely nobody that ought to be more settled and seated and steadfast in that which the Lord has given us. Daniel said in Daniel 6, 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. This was the king speaking of Daniel. He saw in Daniel, because of what he saw in Daniel, he saw Daniel's God and even this king knew the boy, whoever, whoever Daniel's God is, he is a steadfast God forever. He says, in his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. That's a pretty assuring truth. Steadfast forever, forever. That's the example that's given to us. Jesus manifested that in Luke 9, 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew exactly. He knew exactly where he needed to go and exactly what he needed to do, and nothing was going to deter him from that path. We're told in Hebrews chapter 2, he said, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed 
to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. He's saying, God is the perfect example of steadfastness. Jesus Christ manifested and set that example for us when he walked upon this earth, and God has left his word that is steadfast, and it's sure. You see, Psalm 118, Psalm 96, verse 10 says, Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth, the world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. The Bible says because of what we see in the resurrection, because of the hope and the promise that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ, be ye steadfast like the God that's steadfast forever, that Jesus Christ manifest upon this earth, like his word that he's left for us. He exhorts us time and again. Hebrews 3.14 says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Now some put that in there and think that there is an if on salvation, that if you do this and if you do that, then you'll be saved. No, the if is not on those that are saved. The if is on whether you're saved. Because if you are, if we are made partakers of Jesus Christ, if we are partakers with him, we will hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. We find that, of course, Peter was the one that stated those great words when he said, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. People face problems. People face afflictions. Acts 7.55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost, who? Stephen? Stephen, who was being about to be stoned to death. <laughs> How did he look up? He looked up steadfastly into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Job eleven fifteen. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot. Yea, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. 1 Corinthians seven thirty seven. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin doth well. 2 Peter 3.17, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest also being led away with the error of the wicked, 
fall from your own steadfastness. I'm not saying you can fall from faith, but the Bible says it's possible for us as believers to fall from our steadfastness. Psalm 78, 8, it might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Psalm 78, verse 37, where their heart was not right with him, neither were they steadfast in his covenant. Hebrews six nineteen, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the wall. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying, because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and because of what that means to us, the hope that we have in the future, it ought to cause us right now in the present one thing to be steadfast. We see from these verses that we're on the one hand encouraged to be steadfast and on the other hand we're warned of the dangers of not being steadfast. Herbert Lockyer says it this way, because of the dangers within myself, I must, first of all, be steadfast. I'm in danger of growing cold, conventional, listless in my spiritual life, of becoming so engrossed with earthly things as to lose my relish for heavenly things, of being so self-indulgent is no longer to retain my once fervent enthusiasm for Christ who saved me. I need to emulate Paul's grace of continuance, which was by the grace of God. Be ye steadfast. I, as I was looking at these passages and I was looking at really just taking three points straight from this passage, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I'm beginning to think, well, what's the overall message that, that we're looking for here? And I thought, well, you know, we could really just focus towards the end of always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we'll, we'll look at that and we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but then I thought, well, you know, on the one hand, we're being told to be unmovable, to be steadfast. And on the other hand, we're told to abound in the work of the Lord, to actually be doing something. But the title that I actually gave it is in full bloom for the Lord. <laughs> I hope that you'll maybe understand by the end of next week why that I've entitled it that. Because the first thing that is required for us to really be in full bloom for the Lord. You see, there are a lot of plants, and there's some of you that love your gardening and you love the beauty of those plants, but you know the first thing that that plant requires if it's going to be in full bloom for the Lord? It's got to be steadfast. <laughs> it's got to be put somewhere in that soil, in that soil, steadfast there where it's going to sit, where it's going to remain, where it's going to be in that, in that place that it can bloom. You take that 
bulb, for example, or that seed. <laughs> you just let the wind blow it around here, there, and everywhere, but it never, ever, ever finds that soil to be rooted in. It's never going to bloom to its fullest potential. <laughs> oh, you might sometimes even find one that would start to bring some sprouts out or whatever, but without the good soil, without the water to nourish it, without being placed in that place where that it can be steadfast to be able to grow. Don't be one like so many of the Christian community today that has lost their steadfastness. They're not steadfast in the things of the Lord and what God has called them to do. But he also goes on here, the next thing he says is unmovable. Unmovable. Somebody, I think it was Marcus Aurelius that said, stand firm like a rock against which the waves batter, yet it stands unmoved till they fall to rest at last. The storms are going to come. The waves are going to battle. Stand there like that rock. Stand there unmovable against whatever this world. You see, first of all, you got to be steadfast. You got to be planted. You got to be seated in that place. But once you're there, once you're seated, once you're steadfast, you got to be unmovable against whatever because I promise you, the devil and the world is going to bring all that it can against you to move you. You see, I think that was something of Paul's sentiments here as he was writing to the church at Corinth. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit was trying to get across to us. He's talking about here being established in the faith so that when the assaults of all the temptations and the persecutions and all the falseness begins to come against us, it's not going to move us. Why is it? And I don't, I don't say this to be critical. Why is it that so many people that I personally know so many people that I gladly give of my time to try to, to counsel through problems and whatnot. Why is it that they're literally being moved about by every wind of doctrine that comes down the path? They want this and they want that and they want something else. Because first of all, they've never started by being steadfast, seated in the place that God wants them to be. And so therefore, if they're not steadfast, they're going to be moving. But God wants us to be seated in that place, and he wants us to be unmovable. This word occurs only one other place in all of Scripture. And it's in connection with the shipwreck that the Apostle Paul had. In this world, when he got caught in this ferocious storm, and in Acts chapter 27, verse 41, it says... And falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. The only other time it's used in Scripture, <laughs> it uses these two words of being stuck fast and unmovable. So much so that the storm couldn't move it. <laughs> it broke off the hind part because that which was stuck fast and unmovable could not be blown away from where it was at. We're talking about 
the firmness of our faith, the firmness of where we are, our witness for the truth. You see, nothing could shake that ship out of its fixed spots. All the storms in the world. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Wherefore we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Careful not to be unmovable in the wrong sense of our liturgy and unconcern and lack of spiritual growth and lack of service. There's too many people that are too stuck in not being influenced by the Holy Spirit and what God wants from them. There's dangers within and the dangers without that if we're not steadfast and unmovable, we're going to be shaken around. We're going to be shaken in our, in our tracks. Slowly, the world will try to corrode your faith, your belief, your influence, all of the atmosphere around us. You know that if you leave something out in the weather, if you leave it there unprotected, it'll begin to corrode. The world wants to corrode you. It wants to make you unusable for the Lord. We find that we find many, many pulpits that are filled with the preaching of all the false doctrines and the false views of, of God's truths. I don't say that boasting that I have all the truths. I'm just saying that whoever you are and wherever you are, stick to the truth. Stick to what this book says. We don't need to go outside of that. Of course, there's many today that thinks they've found new truth, new truth that is beyond the written Word of God. In fact, it's all Satan's trick in just trying to corrupt the simplicity of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, taken to you, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That's part of the theme text for our conference coming up. Psalm 121.3, He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Psalm 46.5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Psalm 15, a psalm of David, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in the holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth thee. He honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own herd and changeth not, 
He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. You know, we might find a lot of things that we might disagree with in uh, the Protestant Reformation, but there's an awful lot of good things there too of those that were coming out because God's truth had been moved. The church as a whole had moved from that truth and there was only a small remnant that was left in this world that was standing upon it. When Martin Luther began to get a glimpse of that light, he began to see the realities of salvation by grace. There's a lot of things that he learned after that and other things that he could have learned, but that awesome truth that it wasn't by all of the ceremonies and the rituals of the church. It was by God's glorious grace, grace through faith. And he made those famous words when he stated, Here I stand. I can do no other. God, help me. Oh, I think he had an idea of the forces that he would be coming up against. But in seeing that truth, he could do nothing else. Was it Sunday before last, I think, when we had that great hymn played for us as a special, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. I know that we live in a changing world. I know that we live in a time when it seems that people could care less about the truths and the doctrines, and they try to make you some kind of a narrow-minded person because you do. Folks, I'm saying because of all that Jesus did and all that he conquered and all the hope that we have in him, that God needs some people that will be steadfast seated and settled in his truth and his faith, unmovable by all the storms and the things this world would be bringing against them, and that final truth always abounding in the work of the Lord. Do you realize that if we're going to fully bloom, then that bulb, first of all, needs to be placed in the soil. It needs to be seated there. But you know the storms come, the rains come, the winds blow. It's got to be unmovable because if it's taken out of that place, then it's not going to fully bloom. You see, always abounding. Abounding. It's to exceed whatever number or measure that is, that is there that's to be expected. It's, it's to be over. It's to exist in abundance above that, to be great, to overflow, to excel, to exceed. It is a word. From this, I took my main thought that I want you to grasp tonight, hopefully. Abounding is used of a flower when it's going from a bud to full bloom. Abounding. It starts... That bulb is just seated. It's settled. It's unmovable. 
And it begins to go from a tiny bud into full bloom. You see, your life can be a lot of things, and we can look around us and some flowers, they're flowers, but they never fully bloom. Do you want to be in full blossom for the Lord? Do you want to fully bloom? Do you want to literally abound in the work of the Lord, exceed in the work of the Lord, excel in the work of the Lord beyond what you can count or you can measure or you can think because you quit doing your thing and you're doing God's thing because of what we have in Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection, because of our hope that's in him, we ought to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I think it was Will Rogers that said, even if you're on the right track, you're going to get run over if you just sit there. You can be on the right track. But if you just sit there, you're going to get run over. We need to be on the right track. But we need to be moving. We need to be working for the Lord. We need to be doing that which he's called us to do. Here it is. I came across this question. It says, would you do for gold what you would do for God? The answer is clear. If you're not attending prayer services, would you go if someone was paying you? Would be, there be a certain amount of money that would get you to go? Would you witness for Christ more zealously if somebody was giving you a monetary compensation for everybody that you gave a track to, for everybody that you witnessed to? Would, you, would your contributions to the work of Christ be more generous if those investments brought you a guaranteed financial return in this world? <laughs> and then he goes on and said, if these questions disturb you because they call for a reluctant yes, it is apparent that you're more willing to do something for gold than for God. You see, why do we do the things we do with our lives. We spend the hours of every day doing things, all kinds of things. But this passage here is telling us, wow, stop and think. As a believer, what God has given you, the hope that he's given you in Jesus Christ, stop and think about the resurrection for a moment. There's not another religious crowd out there anywhere that's serving a resurrected Savior. <laughs> Stop and think about the fact that you've got victory over the worst thing this world could ever bring against you. You've already got victory over it because death will not hold you because of the resurrection. Therefore, because of who you are and what you have in Christ, as a child of God, you ought to be steadfast. You ought to be unmovable. You ought to be abounding in the work of the Lord. If we stop and think of what our future really is and what it holds, why do we spend so much time 
building up for the things in this life rather than doing them because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Oh, listen. I said in the beginning, and I say again, you see, I want you to be in full bloom for the Lord. Oh, you all look beautiful to me. <laughs> I want you to be in full bloom, though. I don't want you just to be surviving as a plant. I want you to be in full bloom. I want when, when people look at you, I want them to be amazed, not at you, but at the Jesus Christ in you. I want you to abound in the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because of what he has done for you, not because of what the world can do for you, because of what Jesus has already done for you. Don't allow yourself to be discouraged by all the problems and the difficulties and the challenges. Look at what Jesus Christ has done for you. Think upon what he's accomplished for you. Ask yourself, what can this world do to me if they take everything I've got? I've got it all in eternity with him. If they take away my life, <laughs> I've got life eternal with him. I've got victory over it. I'm saying to you this evening, folks, we've got so much that ought to cause us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And my encouragement to you is, hey, don't get stuck in the rut of this life and what this life can do for you. And it's a hard thing when we look and say, well, you know, I'd go to church more if somebody were sticking 100 quid in my bank account every time that I was there. I would definitely pass out tracts, and, uh, you know, today we're able to monitor these things. I could have a little chip in there. For everyone that went out, you got uh, a 10 pounds into your bank account. Boy, could put them out in a hurry. But what about if we just do what we do because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us, because of what we have in him? Would our lives be a little bit different? I want to encourage you. You've got so much in him. God wants to do things for you, not just, not just things to get you by. But he wants you to abound. He wants you to be in full bloom that Jesus Christ could shine through your life. Father, Lord, as we thought along these simple thoughts, Lord, just one simple verse. Lord, it all focuses back to what Jesus Christ has already done when, Lord, he rose from the grave first. But because of that, the promise of the resurrection that we have also, Lord, the victory that is ours in him, that even our last enemy, the last enemy that anybody can possibly bring up against us in this life, that enemy called death, that we've even already got victory over him because of the resurrection. So this evening, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us just to maybe see these things in a little different light. Help us not to be discouraged and downhearted over all the bad things we see about us. Help us, Lord, to be to recognize what we have because of that, to be steadfast, to be stable Christians, not just to be washed about and thrown about. Help us to be stable Help us to be unmovable, whatever the world brings against us. 
Help us to fully bloom, to be abounding in the work of the Lord. It is your work, Lord. And we're only instruments in your hand. But I pray that you'd help us to fully bloom, that the beauty of Christ could be seen through our lives. Help us to do what we do because of our love for you and what you have already done for us, because of that which we have in you already for now and eternity. And we give you the praise for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.